Jesus is the word. It's written in the Bible. It's written in your heart. It's written in truth. It's written by covenant. And God Almighty is revealed to you through the word. As we avail ourselves to the word and let the word have its work in us, every part and everything spoken is not forgotten and it is purposeful for his plan for you. These things are in scripture and it is true. So therefore, as we are searching for God and trying to find more of him and what is going on in the circumstances of our life, let us make ourselves available to the living word as it becomes alive in you and touches your heart and actually changes you. Because this is the one, this word, Jesus Christ, is the one that died on the cross and made all provision. But yet as we walk through the, the struggles of life, we wonder where that provision is. That provision is as we cast ourselves upon the truth of the living word of God and let it become alive in us and then hold on to that and believe it and don't let go because Jesus Christ has provided for everything, for life and for godliness and he provided his blood for our purity and for our redemption and eternal life. And if we're not walking in that, we're missing this living word that makes it true for us, for you for me each one individually so as we avail ourselves to the living word the word of God that comes alive to you whether it be through a worship song or speaking to a, to another person or someone someone speaks hope or life into you you must be willing to go past the anger and the resentment and the sins of daily life to be able to find what is available to you and apply yourself to that truth and you will find that the circumstances will bow These circumstances can actually be a stepping stone for you to climb through to the open door that is always available to you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. This word of God is true. And we come together and we get touched by God and, we, and we're doing okay. But then we walk back out, but we don't hold to the truth. We don't say, that's mine. Peace is mine. And I don't have to live in this turmoil. And I don't have to live by what Satan's uh, definition of me is. I'm not that. God didn't form you in your mother's womb with anything other than who he is. And he has given you the grace and the gifts that are needed for you to be able to walk in eternal life and to find this truth. And you become born again, a brand new person, so that you're able to communicate with God Almighty. So that these struggles aren't the whole reality of your life. Jesus Christ is the whole reality of your life and who he is and what it means by, by his stripes I am healed. Let go. Don't quit. The circumstances are blinding you, but that doesn't mean that's truth. It's on the other side. It's on the other side that he will pull you through if you ask him. It's by grace that, you, grace that you were saved through faith. It's not of works. It's not how hard you get up and try to take another step, although we do that naturally because of who Christ is in us. We find his strength to get up and take another step. We find his truth and we hold on to that and we say, the truth of the devil is a liar and I'm not going to believe it anymore. When you're born again, you've got new DNA. Brand new DNA. Your father God in heaven with all the new DNA, you don't have to have generational curses. 
You don't have to have all these things that cause these issues in your life. It's kind of like someone ends up with cancer and they say, well, I, I have cancer, my cancer, my cancer. It isn't your cancer. You may be battling it, but it's not yours unless you take it. Unless you agree with its power to take your life. Unless you, as, as we stand for one another, as we did for our brother Richard, and as we stand and we don't quit and we do not accept death. Why should we put death in the hands of the devil? Our, our death should be a blessing unto the Lord. For me, I don't want to die under some infirmity. I either want to go to sleep the way the Bible says I can, or I want to be a martyr for my Lord Jesus Christ, and there's no other options for me. So as we face these things, find the greater truth and let that become alive in you and nurture it and don't let go. And if you need help, call somebody. Sometimes it takes more than one of us. So Father, can we just agree to come to you and ask for this living word that you say that we can have the Spirit of God that rightly divides the soul from the Spirit so the soul is not in control, that the Spirit of God that renews the soul and redeems the soul is the one that's under control. And pretty soon we're able to stand and we're able to pull somebody else out. And pretty soon we're able to bring glory to the name of God just because He made us and He formed us and He pulled us all this through. And the people that knew us before are going to say, wow, what happened to you? And you can tell them. We need you, Jesus, every moment, every hour. I encourage you also to pay attention to these scriptures in Ephesians that Pastor Chad is speaking because he's getting us by the Spirit of God ready for the battles to come. And these battles that are in our own personal lives, they will help us be built unto victory and to the greater battles that are coming. Listen carefully with your heart. When the Spirit of God moves and touches you, He's coming to receive that which you will give Him. He'll receive it and He'll build you deeper. He'll pull you through. He'll pull you through all the confusion and the judgments that you have against each other or even yourself. This living word and this truth is a mighty powerful thing. And it's not an age thing. Even kids can have it. It's a God thing. Bless us, Lord, and to your ways and your purpose and your life and your truth, show us the way. Be a light unto our path so that our light can shine. Prove the devil wrong. Bless your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. If the Lord touched you this morning, just give him thanks. Just tell him thank you. Don't ever receive a touch from the Lord without giving him thanks. Don't ever do that. Because in your thanksgiving is where your wholeness comes. Amen? All right. If you have children and you want to send them to the back, you can. Um, I'll leave it up to you guys to figure out which classrooms they go in. But we have, I think, something for just about everybody. And uh, it's probably going to be better back there than it is out here. I'm sorry for the rest, those of you who have to stick with me. But uh, that's all. I'm all you got, right? I apologize in advance. I'm still being made. And I think that uh, 
one day when we finally get to where we want to be and we have all the answers that we think we know, we're just about to open our mouth to tell somebody and God will just take us home. And then somebody else has got to get to that point and the same thing happens over and over again because you got to learn. <laughs> and you guys know that we don't learn from what we hear. Even though the word comes by hearing, faith has got to be applied. Just because you've heard something doesn't mean it's tangibly something you possess. Regurgitated truth is not organic. Jesus is organic. He's the firstborn son. Everything should flow from him. You with me? The season of milk is only supposed to be for a season. Milk is regurgitated truth. You understand that? Okay. <laughs> when, you, when you and I are, are, when we posture ourselves to receive things from other people alone, it means you're a baby. And you're taking what somebody else has taken in and processed and is nursing you. That is only supposed to be for a short time. And at some point, you've got to start chewing your own meat. What does that mean? It means that through the circumstances of your life, the Word of God is being manifested to and through you in such a way that you're now ministering and giving milk to someone else. See, if you're taking in meat, but you're not giving out milk, you're not in the full circle of what God's intention is for a true believer. Because if you take in meat and don't give out milk, you just get fat. You have to give. But you give long enough to train somebody else up to teach them how to, how to do the same. Does this make sense? That way they don't idolize you. See, I know a lot of us want to be idolized, not because we want to be idolized, but because we want to feel important. Well, let me just get it out of the way. You are important. Did that change your life? No, it didn't. Thus, my initial statement that truth alone, that a spoken word doesn't change your life unless faith is applied, unless you believe it. You with me? All right. We're in Ephesians. Before we get there, I'm going to uh, remind you guys that there is no discipleship class tonight. Um, if you want to help with our diaper drive uh, throughout the week, you know, maybe buy a pack of diapers or two or whatever you can afford. If you can't afford it, then by all means, don't put yourself in the debt, okay? Uh, but if you can and you want to get like 2T or 3T or something like that, you can bring them and set them in the back and we'll apply them to uh, the day we pass them out. And uh, be a blessing to those. And then also, don't forget, our next Sunday is our worship night. So if you guys enjoyed worship this morning, anybody enjoyed worship? A few of y'all did, yeah. So we do that. No, you don't have to listen to me or anybody else. And Well, unless the Lord, like, speaks through somebody else. But I, I try not to speak at all on those nights. We just come up here and lay before the Lord and just worship. And sometimes words come forth and scriptures and dreams and visions and... It's, it's, it's neat. It's really neat to see what God does. So you're welcome to come to that next Sunday night at uh, 6 o'clock, yes. Okay, Ephesians 4. We, with, this is what, part 5 of chapter 4? Uh, if you haven't listened to the previous um, 
teachings on Ephesians up to this point, you can go to um, any podcast platform and um, search Proclaiming Jesus, and it should pop up. Otherwise, you can go to the website, uh, our YouTube, or, or even our Facebook account. If you haven't listened to these uh, uh, and you want to, I would encourage you to do so, but also I would encourage you to um, travel along with us as we have got to this point, which I feel like is a bit of a pinnacle, and then we'll readjust um, what I feel like the Lord's saying after that. But to get to this point, we, we went through Sonship series. How many of you guys listened to that? How many of you enjoyed it? Oh, yeah. All right. How many of it changed your life? Oh, yeah. Okay. So... It was really cool during worship this morning because, um, you know, just to see, y'all, y'all, some of y'all maybe think, like, why are they up there dancing? But it's like, man, if you knew some of these people <laughs> when they first walked in the door here, you'd be grinning ear to ear because they came out of certain denominations that do not allow that at all. And they were so bound up with religion and fear that to see certain people doing what they were doing is only a testimony to the grace of God. <laughs> I mean, the freedom that they, they have in their heart now, um, if, you, if, you, if you have this thought, well, why are they dancing? I pray you have the same encounter, yes. and then you'll lose the question. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Sonship Series, and then um, Mind Renewal Series, majorly important as a preface to the book of Ephesians. In fact, today's little segment is going to be on the skirting issue of mind renewal because it comes before our ability to have to fight in a warfare type setting. So we're encountering Ephesians from an angle of of warfare. How many know that life is about two things? A war and a wedding. That's it. Everything else is distractions. All of life, all of spirituality. Is about a war and a wedding. And you war so you can get to the wedding. Does that make sense to you? This is not about God blessing your life. God will do that. That's just a byproduct. If you walk in kingdom truth, blessing will come. It may not be what you think, but it will always be what you need. Always. If you put the blessing above the wedding then you'll lose sight of the wedding and miss the blessing. Okay? So, we're going to start in verse 17, so you can go ahead and turn there. But I want to, I say this because I want you to understand the mindset of Paul. We need to know the author before we know the context of what he's thinking. Why? Because what he's thinking is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if we're not in the rhythm of the Spirit of God, then we're going to miss the letter that he's writing. How many of you guys are sick of religion? (laughs) I love the Word of God because it's alive. Do you know how many years I went to church and I heard a pastor read a verse and then all he did was just tell you what the verse just said and he moved on? I don't like that. If that's the case, I can do that at home and just read the Bible. Why do we have the office of pastors? Why do we have the office of apostles and prophets? Why do we have the office of evangelists and teachers, which we talked about last week, to expound the Word of God, to bring it to such a tangible experience of life that's made manifest in front of people to such a degree it changes their life, stirs their hearts, and sets them on fire. 
See, you need somebody else's angle of truth to be able to stir yourself to jealousy, to step out of the current complacency you've gotten yourself into because a personal relationship with Jesus without community will only end in stale complacency. It will. Because you will only be able to rise to the height of your own gift. To access more of God, you have to have the part of God that it's in people around you. And there's only one way God's going to give it to you. And it's not going to be on your face. It's going to be through someone else. You'll get what you need for your gift on your face, but you need somebody else's gift through someone else. We talked about that last week. The importance and the necessity of the body of Christ. You with me? All right. Are our memories refreshed? Good. So Paul contrasts this, this issue here in verse 17, because this is a war. And I'm going to go to, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read a, a passage in 1 Peter. Because all of the apostolic teachings had the same mindset. Different angles of approach, but the same mindset. So when you read the apostles' teachings through the epistles, you're hearing the same spirit through different lenses the message is the same, but there's a different angle to, di to divulge different truths and different parts of the Word of God that bring forth more glory and more manifest reality of Jesus. Amen? So Peter says in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, all right? Because your adversary, the devil, right? You guys know this verse? What? As a roaring lion, what's he doing? Right? He's walking around seeking whom he may devour. Now, I'm not going to go into the all common teaching of oh, it's as a lion, he's not the lion, uh, you know. I think that's fairly evident in Scripture. Okay? What I want to say is, is that the next verse, he says, resist him steadfast in the faith. How many of you know what the Bible says? Whatever is not of faith is sin. You know you can't resist the enemy without faith. But see, circumstances are given to wear down your faith. So how does he seek to destroy you? It's not by waiting for you to um, screw up. It's by convincing you that what God said about your life isn't true. Via your circumstances like she was talking about. Are you, are you with me? All right, resist in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren throughout the world. Why does he even say that there? He, he says this there because here's what the main tactic of the enemy is, is to use, is isolation. <laughs> you ever go through something and you're like, I'm the only one? You know why you feel that way? Because you're not opening up to the body. Because you don't want to be weak. Whenever Paul actually settled that argument that our weakness is his strength, so we should boast in it. How many of us boast on our weaknesses? No, we hide them. When you hide your weakness, you're prone to isolation. When you're prone to isolation, you're ripe for devourment. Are you hear what I'm saying? The enemy's main food, catch this, is the saints. But in the Old Testament, it says that giants are supposed to be our bread. So this is a matter of who eats who. 
And many times, believers are the ones on the dinner plate. How many of you felt like ever, you're ever alone? And I'm the only one going through it. See, if, if, God, if the enemy can get you to believe that you're the only one going through what you're going through, then he can get you to blame God. You know how many times I hear people talking all the time? It's like, well, if God would just quit beating on me, and, and I mean, you know, and, and the, you know, it's like, God, why are you letting this happen? And, why, and it's like he's up there just like orchestrating all of this. No, God doesn't orchestrate your pain. He gives you an ability to overcome it. We have to change how we think. I even heard somebody saying recently that, you know, that God was beating on them all week long. It's like, no, no, that's not. Father doesn't do that. I don't have a desire to beat my children every day of their life. I just don't. And I'm not a good father compared to God. You understand what I'm saying? So in other words, if he can get you isolated and get you believing the lie, then he can get you to the point where you're blaming God. If you get to the point where you're blaming God, you've already lost your shield of faith, which trans this verse 5 says, resist him in faith. How hard is faith for an unrenewed mind? See, if you wait for the battle... To convince yourself of the truth, you've already lost. You have to renew your mind before you get there. If you have to, have, if you have to grab a hold of something to stand in what God's called you to stand in, as you're being beaten on by the devil, chances are slim you're going to make it out of that situation victorious. You're going to come out bruised, oppressed, depressed, offended, or whatever. Why? Because the, the devil doesn't work generically. He works through the mind and he works through people. He works through people who don't have renewed minds. In the church, outside the church, he doesn't care. He would prefer to use the people in the church who have unrenewed minds because that's where the most punch comes to his blow. So the, the more you and I don't renew our mind, the more of an enemy we are to our brother. And the power of the pause. The more you and I do not renew our mind, the more of an enemy we are to our brothers. See, mind renewal is not just for you. It's for everybody around you. If you and I cannot hold our heads, then we're not going to hold anybody else in battle. We'll bail on them to save our own skin. How do we do that? Not intentionally, but we get into our, our feels. And when you're in your feels, you're not in faith, which means when you're not in faith, you're not holding up the shield. You remember the shield picture last week? You guys remember that? <laughs> if you weren't here... Shucks, you know, come to church. See, affliction is a way that the enemy uses your mind to get you into isolation. 
Every one of you in your life right now, you have some sort of an affliction that's challenging your ability to have a renewed mind, the mind of Christ. Every one of you. There's not a person in this room that does not have an affliction somewhere in their life that challenges their ability to think like Jesus. That is where the enemy is coming to your life. See, he doesn't, he's not afraid of your years of pastoral ministry or service to God or experiences. That does not scare him at all. The amount of revelation that you have about Jesus does not intimidate hell one bit. Listen, think about this. The devil himself walks up to the word of God himself. He knows it's God who created him. Walks, he has the audacity and the boldness to come at the word of God himself with the word of God. If he's going to do that to Jesus, what makes you think he won't do that to you? To come at you with the word. See, everybody thinks deception lies in untruth. No, deception at its core is truth misapplied. Some of y'all need to write that down. See, he makes you feel as if God's picking on you. <laughs> Ever been there? Yeah, see, you bought the lie of the enemy. And when God's picking on you, where's your emotional construct? Because you don't believe you have a good father. Because you believe your father's attention on you is based upon your performance. When in reality, the fact that the antagonist is even there is the truth that God is trying to give you a raise. See, he, only, he sends his sons to the wilderness to meet the devil so he can elevate them, not beat them. See, if you want to know what that's like, go listen to the Sonship series. Because it's a truth. But how many of us have a renewed mind to the point where we actually start realizing, that a devil's in my life. I'm due to a promotion. How many of you, that's your first instinct? <laughs> it's because you don't have a renewed mind. If you have a renewed mind, when something hits you square between the eyes, you're like, he loves me enough to promote me through this. I just have to wait long enough to see it. See, the devil can't outweigh your faith, but he can outweigh your unbelief. You don't have enough life to sustain your unbelief. Okay? Are you with me? So isolation will eat you alive. When you get into isolation, you get into self-focused thinking. And then, you know what? If you start looking at yourself too much because you want to be holy, because you love God so much, there is no shortage of sin in your life. And when you get into self-focus, you will be chasing your proverbial tail till the day you die. So fast, so circular in motion that you will drill your own grave with your desire for your morality. Ask me how I know that. 
Verse 17, Paul is going to outline the new life. Okay, was that okay? Were you guys good? Yeah, we're good. See, I didn't just read 1 Peter and then tell you what it said. Thank you for that. Okay, all right. Oh, man. See, I'm not very great, but I wish I had somebody like me in my life when I was young. I'm trying to be better. I am. I'm not there yet, but... I need you and you need me. We need each other. And I use the word need intentionally. He says, okay, let me read it in one verse. Uh, uh, one uh, translation. <laughs> I like this translation. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But I like it because it just, just lays it out. And then I'll read it in something more familiar. It says, as a follower of the Lord, I order you to stop living like stupid, godless people. This is my version. Like, yes. We cut all the garbage out, cut all the fluff away, and get in people's faces and say, hey, listen, stop living like you haven't been redeemed. <laughs> like that version, Zach? It's probably, okay. Okay. All right, all right. Verse 18, their minds are in the dark, they're stubborn, they're ignorant, they've missed out on the life that comes from God. They no longer have any feeling about what is right. That sounds like most believers. Okay, more traditional version. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer, what's that word walk mean? Hey, there we go. Somebody's paying attention. No longer live as the rest of the Gentiles live. How do Gentiles live? What's the spirit of a Gentile life? The spirit of unbelief. That's what makes them unbelievers. That's what makes them heathens. That's what makes them Gentiles because they do not believe. And I mean believe in the, in the salvific sense, not in the demonic sense. Because even demons believe in God. People are, oh, I believe in God. Sir, that means absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> Lucifer believes in God. You might be him. I don't know. He says, don't live. This is why he brings it into a tangible lifestyle substance. Do not live in unbelief. Why? Because when you really believe God, your life structure changes. That's the gospel. Paul knew so efficiently the gospel works in people's lives that when it came in, it changed everything. If you see somebody that says the gospel has changed my life and they're living like a Gentile, they are a liar. Period. I don't care about their experiences. Well, when I was 10 years old, I walked at the altar and I gave my life to God and I really felt his presence. That was God dating you, trying to get you to take his acceptance of a wedding, to put the ring on your finger and say, will you marry me? <laughs> See, God touches a lot of people. God dates a lot of people, but not very many people say yes to the proposal. 
So when the presence of the Lord touches somebody, they feel like, oh, man, I'm saved. No, that's just God saying, I invite you deeper. Will you come? Uh, Listen to it, let's play. Mind renewal has to happen on both ends of the spectrum, for sin and for righteousness. When the Spirit of the Lord touches you, whether it's at church or in your prayer time or wherever it is, do not take it as a condoning of where you're at. Take it as an invitation to go deeper. That means where you're at when the Spirit of the Lord falls on you is not where you should be. <laughs> okay? But so many of us, it's like that's our, that's our defense against conviction. No, God wants you to keep moving, keep growing. Okay? All right, so he says, uh, 17, he says, I testify the Lord you not live as the Gentiles live in the vanity or the futility or that word also can mean purposelessness of their mind, of their thoughts. Why is that important? Because purposeless thinking, all right, you are not supposed to live a purposeless life. And if you get to a point where your purposelessness overtakes your reality, you're ripe for deception. Okay, how many people in here you actually don't really believe? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many, I mean, but ask yourself, how much you, I really don't think I have a purpose in life. Like, I know your theological construct will tell you that, but when you go into your life, you're like, man, I'm just, I'm just this. I just, I work at a shipping yard, or I work at a cash register, or I, I just, you know, I don't have any purpose. I don't have any point of life. I mean, I know I love God, and I love his people, and I love my church, but... I just don't feel like I'm very useful. Have you ever, don't, don't raise your hand. You've heard those thoughts. Do you know, do you know whose voice that is? <laughs> Why are you so familiar with it? Somebody wave a hanky. Okay, there we go. Now we can move on. I think it's wrong that the church is more familiar with the voice of the devil than the voice of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The voice of God is not going to come in and demean you. What he makes, in the beginning he said it was good. Yes? At the cross he said it was finished. If there's a voice in your head that's tearing you apart, some of you think it's you, but you've so joined yourself with the devil, and you're thinking that now the devil's voice sounds like your voice. That's why you believe it. If he came in with a guttural, demonic, horror film type of a voice, you'd run. You accept it. We accept it because it sounds like us. See, everybody repeat after me. I am made in the image of God. The devil is not. So guess what, right? He wants to be like you. That's why in the beginning he made you and I feel like we weren't like God. In other words, do this and you'll be more like God. When they already were as much like God as that God ever intended them to be. Right. The same lie. 
I said this, I don't remember where it was, home group or something like that. Maybe it was home group. Maybe it was last week. I don't remember. That your love for God is the most manipulable thing in your life. The devil knows you love God. And because you love God, you want to be like God. And so if he can give you something to do to be like God, whenever he, God already made you like him in his, in his son, then he sets you on a trail of pursuit looking for something you already possess, which puts you praying for something God cannot give you because he's already answered. That is confusion and deception. And eventually leads to depression. But that's the modern state of Christianity. That's why you got to come back to church every week to get that shot in the arm because you're so depressed about your pursuit of God that you don't have, that you want because you love Him, that you're trying to get, but you already have, but you don't believe it. Whom resist in the faith. That's what he says. You resist the enemy by faith. Not by feeling, not by intellect, not by logic, but by faith. If God loved me enough to die for me and save me, then he loves me enough to give me a purpose. And if I can't see it, that doesn't matter. Ninety-nine percent of Christian problems come because people don't have renewed minds. I'd say ninety-nine percent. The enemy can steal your purpose, he steals your zeal. If he can steal your zeal, he'll steal your passion. If he can steal your passion, he births in you depression, which causes you to fall on your own sword. He'll use the word against yourself. The word of God is alive and powerful, quick, right, sharper than any two-edged sword. But how many of you guys know it's God's job to apply the sword to you, not your job to apply the sword to you. Your job is to apply the sword to the enemy. See, when you apply the sword to the enemy, that works. But if you apply the sword to yourself, it'll tear you to pieces. See, God can operate his word in your heart much more specifically than you can. Trust me, he'll cut on you enough. He doesn't need your help. He needs your submission, your obedience, and your faith. The sword of the Spirit is used against the enemy. You guys remember how the two kings personified in the Old Testament? It's a wonderful study to study David and Saul, the two opposed realities of leadership, of sonship. You should get into it someday. That Saul died. By how? Falling on his own sword. See, when you try to be that earthly king in the flesh, you're going to lose every battle. And then because you've lost the battle, you're going to lose your hope. When you lose your hope, you're going to use what God gave you to win against yourself. See, if the devil can bring to you a word out of season, he can deceive you. See, the proverb says a word in season is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Well, what's a word out of season? It's a tool in the hand of the devil. 
So how do you back that up with Scripture? It's easy. Matthew 4, when the devil came to Jesus, he brought to him the word, but it was out of season. True or not? How many of you guys know in the Psalms that David writes that I've never seen the righteous suffer hunger or need for bread? Yes. Yes? True Scripture. Is the Scripture true? Is the Word of God true? Yes. But here Jesus is, a righteous man in the wilderness, suffering hunger and needing bread. But I thought the Bible said, see, the Word of God is subject to the seasons of God. Because within the seasons of God are the intentions of God. So a word out of season will actually get you into confusion and trouble. The devil's not going to come at you. Like if he comes at you with base element sins, lust and greed and pornography, that's like, that's basic level warfare stuff. You know that's wrong. And if that, if those little things are taking you out, man, you better dig in because the bigger ones look like the scripture applied outside of the seasons of your life. How did he come to Jesus? Did he come to him with base, elemental, immoral sins? Or did he come with trying to do the works of God outside of the purposes of God? That's what most churches live under. Which is why we have to substitute for the lack of the Holy Spirit with programs and all kinds of stuff. See, only, only the Holy Spirit can do the work inside of your heart. And if he doesn't do it, I mean, all you've done is collect a group of people who are now dependent upon your message. And that's bondage and slavery. Yeah. See, Romans 8, 28 says, 8, 28 says that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That word futility means a lack of purpose. What's your purpose in life? Some of us don't even know. You should. It's not complicated. It's super simple. It's super simple. Your purpose in life is to bring glory to God. It's easy. It's simple. Wherever you're at, no matter how amazing it may be or how non-glamorous it may feel, your purpose is to bring glory to God in that, situ- in that scenario. That's what, see, instead of running away and, and dreading your circumstance and your scenario, you need to stop and go, God specifically custom chose me to place me right here in this moment where nobody else feels this is valuable because God uses his greatest kingdom people in the smallest places. And because I feel so valueless, that makes me so valuable. But that's how a renewed mind thinks. An unrenewed mind says, well, I don't hold a microphone. I don't have a big ministry, so I have no purpose. That's deception. Because this microphone doesn't give you anything but greater accountability. That's it. (laughs) It does not give you anything other than double judgment. Anybody want it? I didn't want it. Never asked for it. All right. Ephesians 3.11. You don't have to turn there. I'm just giving you things to jot down. According to the eternal purpose. We read this. We've already went through this in, in chapter 3. 
See, we're, we're backing up into Paul's thinking here. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus. What was that? That Christ would be formed in us. The purpose of God is that Christ is formed in you. That the body is one. That we all come to the unity of faith to know the love of God which passes understanding. This is the purpose of God. You have purpose. If the enemy can get you into a purposeless uh, life, then he's got you. Yeah. At best, you'll create an idol to give you purpose in some man or woman of God that you esteem. Yeah. That's idolatry. Yep. First John 3, 8. For, the purpose, <laughs> for this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest. That he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. What was the purpose of Jesus? To destroy the works of the devil and to glorify his father. What's your purpose? Same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. That God honored you enough and chose you to give you the purpose of his son. The same reason that Jesus Christ lived on the earth is the same reason why you live here. Minus the dying for the sins. Because none of us are qualified to do that. <laughs> but we can destroy the works of the devil. How do we do that? Paul gets into it. Yeah. We renew our minds. If you take the mind away from the enemy, he has no ability to move. Because even if he strikes you with death and sickness, the only thing that will come out of your mouth is praise to your father. If you take the mind away from the enemy, he has nothing left to use. That's why he fights so desperately to keep it in your life. You understand that both powers are trying to grab a hold of the mind. You realize when Jesus died, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Luke 24, 45. Jesus died, got up from the grave, and met a couple of guys walking on the road to Emmaus. You guys remember that? It says in verse 45, then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Both powers are trying to get your mind open to understanding. And it wasn't until Jesus opened their mind that they understood the scriptures correctly. Do you understand that? These guys knew the word. I don't know where we get off thinking that, you know, these guys like didn't know the word and, at all and didn't know Torah and didn't know the Tanakh and didn't know all these things and the rules and the law. They didn't know any. They were just, you know, ignorant Gentiles walking down the road and Jesus comes in and just opens their mind to the word and they have this epiphany and whoa, and they come back. No, it's not how it was. See, they knew the word of God. Then why did Jesus need to open their understanding to the scriptures? Because many times when the scriptures are in our life, we aren't seeing Jesus through them. We're seeing our, our uh, work to get to him. But if you see the, the scriptures the way we're supposed to, then you see Christ centered in them. And when you see Christ centered in the scripture, there is no ability for the devil to manipulate that against you. Does that make sense? But if we see the scriptures through the mind of the enemy, we think it's the word of God and we're just devouring it and all we're doing is devouring the letter which Paul says kills. 
See, the Bible is the most dangerous yet powerful thing you will ever take into your life. Because both powers choose, desire, strive to use it in your life. People think, oh, I'm just going to sit down and read my Bible. You better do it through the Spirit. Or you're going to read that thing, you're going to come up with condemnation. Ask me how I know. Spent years doing that, being faithful little Christian boy, reading my Bible, coming away with realizing I can't, I, I can't do all that. I tried last week, last month, last year, last 10 years, and I keep failing, and therefore I must not be any good. I must not have any purpose. God must not love me. I must not be called. I must not be chosen. I must not this. I must not that. And pretty soon all the scriptures centered around me. You ever read the Bible that way? <laughs> Don't read the Bible that way. It'd be better for you not to read your Bible than to read it that way. My pastor said I don't have to read my Bible. That's not what I said. <laughs> not what I said. You'd be surprised. Both powers are trying to open our understanding. One through the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. The other one through the tree of life. I like, I like what Smith Wigglesworth used to say. He said, some people like to read the Bible in Greek. Others like, others like to read it in Hebrew. He said, I like to read it in the Holy Spirit. If you read it in the same spirit in which it's written, you're going to come away with the context of the mind of God. But if you read it through your spirit and your understanding, your intellect and your history and your context and your experiences, guess what you're going to come away with? More things to do. But you know what? The letter will have its work in your life. If you read it that way and you can't help yourself, the letter will have its work in your life. It will break you and grind you into powder. And maybe then you'll call upon the name of the Lord. And be saved. Philippians 4, 6, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, but prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why do I read that verse? Because the mind is what produces the anxiousness. This is what Paul's warning us about and what he's about to warn us about. When we get anxious about things, we lose our centeredness on Christ. Jesus says, Take no thought for tomorrow. I'm guilty of that. All the time. Yet it's still a command. So do I work myself into that by trying not to do it? <laughs> or do I begin to rest in his nature that the reason he says take no thought for it is not because I don't need to take a thought for it, but because he's already taken care of it for me. That's good stuff, Chad. You can keep going. See, an anxious spirit is one that carries the yoke of darkness. But if you read the Bible in the letter, you're going to read, well, I can't be anxious, but I'm anxious, but I've got to stop being anxious, stop being anxious, oh, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. You see that? Rules, dogma, legality. It will kill you. 
Much of the Bible is written to reflect what we've already become, not to give us something to do to become what we've already been given. So in other words, when we read that verse, and we find out that we're allowing the nature of Abba be what it's supposed to be in our life. We read that verse and go, man, that's why I'm not anxious about tomorrow. <laughs> because he gave me his spirit. Right? Romans 8, 6, for the mind is set on flesh, is death. What the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the spirit is what? Let me want some of that. <laughs> Can I have a double portion, Lord? Anybody want a double portion of life and peace? Who wants to eat from the tree of? Right here. Philippians 4.8, verse, it says, Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Who's, who's writing this? Paul. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The only labor you need to put forth in your life is keeping out what shouldn't be there. Not try to get in what should. If you focus on Christ, those things will start growing up inside of you. Why? Because you already possess his DNA. You're already a son. You're already a daughter. And those things just need to grow inside of you. Your job is to keep the other garbage out. You want to work? You actually want to do something? You want to actually put your hand to a plow? Keep out the devil. You don't have to worry about becoming holy. If you center yourself on Christ, holiness will begin to just show itself in your life. The reason unholiness is there is because you've given your mind to darkness. That's why Paul says in the very beginning, verse 17, I command you to stop living like stupid, ignorant Gentiles. Because you've been given something great. See, if you can't hold your peace or if you can't hold your mind, you can't hold your position. Why is that important? Because we're approaching chapter 6 where he says what? Stand, 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 stand. If you can't hold your mind, you can't hold your position. At some point, something's going to hit the world, whether in our generation or another, that will bring almost everybody to their knees, except those who've renewed their mind and learned how to take what's in here and say, the more dark it is, the more resurrection power there's going to be. But people don't think that way. You know how I know as a nation we're not thinking that way? Because we lost our marbles at the last election. And we think a man's our savior. We think a political president's going to fix everything. No, that's just going to buy you four more years until it actually slaps you in the face once more. It's not going to fix anything. What's going to fix something is you and I developing this mentality to buy life or by death. <laughs> by life or by death. And I don't have to wait and fear because grace will be there every day of my life for what I need. I love the story of two monks who were sentenced to death in an era where they were killed for actually being men of the Spirit. And both of them were set to burn at the stake. There was a younger one and an older one and they were in a 
jail cell and there was candles lit. And the next day, the, the young boy was sentenced to burn, but that evening he was sitting in the corner holding his hand over the flame and he'd keep pulling it back, wondering if he could endure what was about to come. And the older saint said, Son, you will never have tomorrow's grace today. It was rumored that when that man was burning at the stake, all he said is, it doesn't hurt. I do not feel a thing. And he began to praise God. Wow. By life or by death. See, a son cannot war from a place of unrest. If you get jumbled up in your sin and your failure or somebody else's sin and failure against you and you lose your peace or a circumstance or a situation... Guys, you've already lost. You're going to have to go back and pick up your sword, pick up your shield, repent, and ask Abba to fix the thing that you broke and then stand you back up. And the next thing, time that thing comes around, because he's going to give you another shot, you're going to have to stand there this time. Yeah. You'll face it again and again and again until you finally beat it. Why? Because God wants to advance you. And if you fail the test... He's going to give you another chance. But you will face it. He's not going to supernaturally move you into another dimension without you standing in the one he's given you. Too much is given. Yeah. See, sons are peacemakers, right? Oh, my gosh. Did y'all just go really long in worship and take all my time? Oh, man. I'm not even close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ephesians 4, part 5, part 2. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's taking... uh, sons are peacemakers if we live in the posture, like if, 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 if we're in the posture of receiving peace, right? If, we have to, if we're in the posture of having to receive peace, then at some point we've relinquished our reality of, of our sonship. You're supposed to be a peacemaker, a peace giver. So if, if you're in a position where you're having some, another son is having to give peace to you, I mean, that's okay. That, ha that happens. Don't get condemned. But it should have never happened. <laughs> it means you denied the reality of your sonship at some point. You bought the lie. You're supposed to be a giver, a peacemaker. That's the place we have war from. Does that make sense to you? Yes. See, if you lose your peace, you've already lost the war. Be careful what steals your peace. Okay, let me say it this way. Earthly blood is not worth the loss of your peace. Right. So either you have to change or you have to exit until you can re-enter. But if your family, your blood, who is not saved, is causing you unrest, you decide which more is more valuable. To many, to many people, their blood's more valuable than the peace of God. That's your choice. It's not how I live my life. Because unless they repent, which I pray they do, 
But if they do not, you won't even be conscious of their existence when you're in their heaven. And you spent your whole life on something that you don't even know exists anymore. Because heaven will not be heaven if you know that your people are in hell. God will wipe away all that stuff. You won't even know you had a loved one that didn't believe. Because Jesus makes it very clear who's the family of God. Doesn't he? It's the people here that we usually kick to the curb and bail on for the sake of our blood. Ouch. Jesus says in John 16, these things I've spoken to you that you give that you have peace. But in the world you will have what? See, that's a promise. Jesus tells you, in the world you will have tribulation. Why are we why are we so shocked when it comes? <laughs> oh my God, my life's falling apart. No, no, that's a promise. A promise of God. Lord, I call forth your promises. He goes, okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, you need to renew your mind. So you think promise is all this little fluffy, cotton candy, spiritual stuff. No, certain promises of God are for your benefit. You need opposition. Like I said a couple weeks ago, you need a Judas in your life, but nobody wants one. You need one. You need someone to betray you to show you where your walk with God really is. Otherwise, you'll deceive yourself with your moments of glory at the altar and sterile Christianity that's never fo focused on having to face anything. You need an enemy. They make you strong. They challenge your idea of your degree of morality that you think you possess. Because when they show up, your morality is no longer up here. It's way down here. And you're like, oh, man, Lord Jesus, thank you that I'm still a son. But you got to grow me up. And I need love because I can't love them. So I need your love to do it because I don't have it. But if you'll give it to me, I'll take a stab at it. And that's how you grow. Oh, I'm going to try. Give me just a few minutes. Luke eleven twenty one. 21. When a strong man is armed and keeps his place in his palace, his goods are, left, are kept in peace. This is Jesus talking. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor where he trusted and he divides the spoils. You understand that story works both ways? When we read that, we're reading that as if Jesus is coming in and taking away the spoils of the enemy and he's going to take out all this stuff and, and overpower him. And that's true. That's exactly what happened, is it not? Right? But do you understand that it also works the other direction? That because you have the victory of Christ, and because you have the armor of God, and because you have the things of the Spirit in your life, if the devil can start convincing you that he's stronger than you, and that God has bailed on you, and God's picking on you, and he's not a good father, then you're going to get into the devil's mindset, which means you're operating now flesh to flesh, human to demonic, and you will lose that battle. He comes in, takes your armor, divides your spoils because he's stronger in you in that situation because we haven't realized that our weakness is our strength. 
And then we got to go back to Jesus and say we're sorry. And he dresses us back up into his armor again. We actually believe that I'm a saved son. I actually believe that I'm made in the righteousness of Christ. I actually believe that I am born in truth. And what I propagate is of the seed of the Spirit of God. And I walk in peace. And I have the faith of the Word of God in my life. And he's given me the sword of the Spirit to stand against the things the enemy's put in my life. Then you can begin to come back in, join rank, and hold line. But that principle works both ways. And so many Christians live the majority of their life spoiled and divided. Because someone stronger than them has entered their life. And it wasn't Jesus. They believed the power of the devil through the circumstance. Well, you don't know my story. My husband this, and my wife that, and my kids this, and my finances that. Okay, you take that up with Jesus, and you see if he listens to your story. I'm not the guy to beat on for that. And you guys know he's not going to listen to that. It just won't. I get like that in my prayer closet, and I call it prayer, and it's really complaining. You've been praying, brother? Oh, man, I've been praying every day. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, you've been complaining every day and calling it prayer. Oh, man. Um, are you guys okay? Everybody who's not didn't say anything. I'm sorry for you guys. I, I apologize, especially if you're new. If you're a visitor, I'm really sorry. Be patient with me. See, a lack of peace, remember this, please. A lack of peace is the signature of Satan. Where he signed your life. And you let him. You should never lose your peace because you have a Father who's for you. You have a Jesus who died for you. You have a Spirit who lives inside of you. You are the temple of the living God. Everything that comes your way is meant to promote you. Do you, you know when I, when I see the biggest challenge of mind renewal? The ability where I see somebody, whether they have ever renewed mind or not, is their ability, it's how quick they're able to get right back into the position of righteousness right after they screw up or right after someone hurts them. Like that time frame when the calamity hits versus they're back on the front line. That's the determining factor of how, how renewed your mind is. Because if you waste your whole week and you screw it all up and you live in the flesh and, and you realize and then you get to church and you're like, man, I don't even want to go because I just feel like terrible. Y'all are chuckling like it's happened once or twice. You know why you feel that way? Because you think you're going to come in here and God's not going to meet you and he's disappointed with you and he's looked at everything you've done wrong because you see yourself the way you see yourself instead of the way God sees you. 
And I can say that every week, and I can say it till I'm blue in the face, but until you believe it, it means absolutely nothing to you. Because what is your reality is what you give your attention to. And if you walk in here feeling like God's not going to meet you because you weren't a good Christian throughout the week, then you've already proven to yourself your mind is so far jacked. Because you're basing it on performance. Well, guess what? When you base it on performance, you're ripe for deception because that puts you at the center of your story. It puts you as being the righteousness of the earth, you as being the center of all existence, you as being the one that has to keep all the rules and laws and dogmas. And if you do, maybe, maybe you'll catch God's attention. He'll go, you might be worthy. We'll wait till next week, though, just to see. That's how we think. Because we're more sin conscious than we are Savior conscious. Y'all don't realize how much the spirit of religion has beat you to a bloody pulp and changed how you thought. Some of you, the worst thing that ever happened to you is you stayed in a religious church for 20 years of your life. And you actually believe a lot. Because you walk out feeling like, well, I got to do better. And you never can. That's why people either quit or concede to the spirit of religion. <laughs> There's only two options. Either come, you either become a religious, religious devil or you quit. I actually respect the people who quit more. Because at least they're being honest. But that's not Jesus. See, Jesus overcame what we're being anxious of, Right? These people have their understanding darkened. They're being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that's inside of them because of the blindness of their hearts, their thoughts, their understanding is more dark. The darkness that comes into their mind is from the pit of hell. Revelation 16 says, And the fifth angel poured out his vial over the seed of the beast, and the kingdom of the beast was full of darkness, and they gnawed their teeth in pain, and their tongues in pain. This is what happens. When you get under the kingdom of the mindset of the beast and the darkness of the mindset of the Gentile life, the unbelieving life, you gnaw your tongue in pain. What's your tongue supposed to do? It's supposed to speak life. It's supposed to speak truth. It's supposed to, re it's supposed to release the praises of God in our mouths. James says if you, can, if you can tame the tongue, right? It's not just about, oh, if I can just stop speaking evil. No, it's not just about stop doing something. It's about releasing something it's supposed to be. You can't just take the rudder off the ship and think you fixed something. Then you don't go anywhere. But these people are gnawing their tongues. They're literally biting their reality to speak truth. They're cutting it off within themselves. And this is the mindset of the Gentile people, which sadly is dominant in the church. I'm recapping the Mind Renewal series. Are you with me? We have a reputation to uphold. It's called the life of God. And he believes in us. I remember when someone told me that one time. God believes in you. I, I immediately, my mind was like, that's yeah. dumb. <laughs> I don't even believe in myself. When I began to think about that, the Spirit of God began to just gnaw at me inside of me. 
It was a ma major man of God in my life. He just got straight in my face, and he said, God believes you can do anything. Wow. I was like, you're a liar. I didn't say that out loud. But that's what I thought. On the outside, I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know, we do in church, you know, hey, brother, yeah. <laughs> but I began to believe that. And I began to believe that not because it was my ability, but by his ability in me. So if it's his ability in me, then God can do whatever he wants. I'm just the vessel in which he does it through. So therefore, God believes I can do anything because it's not me doing it. Being past feeling, verse 9, they've given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. See, this, this, this idea, this, this callousness that comes, comes from listening to the devil over and 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 over again until we become so hardened that we actually think that what he says to us is the voice of God. God doesn't accuse. Real simple. If you want to know thoughts, which, which ones are, are godly and which ones are you and which ones are the devil, God never accuses. If you're accusing yourself or someone else, these are not Jesus' thoughts. They are demonic thoughts. They're not just something, oh, that's just a bad thought. No, that's a Luciferian thought. It's literally the mind of Lucifer himself operating in you. Get it out. With me? Verse 20. So, but this is not how you learned Christ. He is truth. You heard about him and you learned about him. You were discipled in something different. Verse 22, so put off, you know what that word means? It means to strip yourself of a garment. Let me say something. In a minute, he says, put on the new man. But before he gets there, he says, you need to put off the old man. Well, wait a minute. Wait, but if you look at the Greek there, those words literally mean like garments. To take, to take something off. So if, if, the substructure of the human is there, and we're just dressing it with different realities. We're not changing the structure. We're changing what's robing the structure. So the essence of the life of the sun is organic. But putting off the old man is something that the enemy tries to put on us. The corrupt nature of Adam. He says, take that off. As in, if you can. Because the who you really are isn't what's on you, it's what's in you. Do you understand this? Why is Paul talking about this stuff? Because if we don't get this in the core of who we are, when chapter 6 comes, we're going to be convinced that what we are is what's on us instead of what's in us. And he says, put on the new man. That word in the Greek literally means to sink into a garment. It's, like, it's, it's almost like... Meshing yourself into it in, in one. To sink into the garment of Christ, the new man. Well, that's biblical. Because Christ says that he's going to give us a robe of righteousness, right? A garment of salvation. 
Yeah? So he's going to dress us. Why? Because the new creation that he makes in us, okay, should not be naked. It should be clothed with something. And we know that. And I taught on this, as you can find on the website, about being clothed in light. That God's original intention for us was to be clothed in light, which is why we had no knowledge of our nakedness. And the first time we had knowledge of our nakedness, we ran out and tried to clothe ourselves, which is still what we're trying to do. But now he says, I want you to be clothed in righteousness and glory and salvation. He says, put this on, right? He says, take off the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. We think that's pornography and greed and theft and violence and thuggery and all these other things. Now, deception of lust is something that you think is a good thing, and lust literally means something you desire in your life. It means an impulse or a desire. That word lust means impulse or desire. You know, that could be a car or a new job, something that, you know, something that God doesn't have planned for you, something that's deceptive that you think is, is good. I mean, the devil's not going to come to you with that garbage. And if he does, it's not, he's not coming to you with it. He's already just wound you up like a toy, and you'll just keep defeating yourself through your pornography and your lust and your greed because he's not even doing that anymore. It's just you, you just keep doing that to yourself. Oh, the enemy's really attacking me. No, that's your unrenewed mind that's just driving you to sin. The devil loves to do that because then that makes it, it makes him be able to spread his forces out farther because he's not infinite. He's only got a limited number of demons, and there's more of us than there are of him. So if he can get you like your little wind-up toy and your bad thinking, he doesn't have to mess with you anymore. He can actually go spend some time on some people who are changing the world. That's why you need to pray for your leaders, because many times these people, men, women of God, are actually living righteous, holy lives, not giving in to their mental realities, and they are actually having the devil come against their life, when remember most of the stuff that's coming against the common Christian's life is stuff they generated themselves. Yeah. See, to put off is a conscious decision. So he says, let the Spirit change your way of thinking. Verse 23. Right? <gasps> Mind renewal. We got there. See, that's why I couldn't quit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all the same thought. Mind renewal. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed. Why? Because that's where the enemy is going to come in. You have to be renewed. You have to. That, that word literally means to be brought back to a position of youth, innocence, becoming like a child, trustworthy, just honoring your father, knowing he's good for you, knowing he's not going to let you starve, knowing that there may be hard times you go through, but he's going to be there with you, knowing that you're not the one asked to provide for the house, knowing that he's going to get up and go to work for you, knowing that he's going to be the one that goes out and puts in all the effort and the time like a good daddy does to be able to give you what you need, and you just rest in the fact that his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and you convince yourself of that so purely and so truly that when the lie comes, it's absolutely abhorrent to you to even consider the fact that my father wouldn't take care of me. And we need to get out of the idea that 
Well, like what she said earlier, precious is the death of the Lord, uh, death of the, uh, the saints in the sight of the Lord. It's like death is some sort of loss for us. It, it, like, like somebody died, we prayed for somebody and they died and we lost. I mean, what, what the heck is that? I know we're sad, but they got promoted. Like, do you understand that they wouldn't want to come back? Uh, they love you, but not that much. I mean, this place stinks. And you get up into that business and you're like, Man, I don't want to go back. I'll stay right here. I know that you can, but they're crying. Hey, they'll be okay. <laughs> That's how it works. Let the spirit change how you think. Next verse. Put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You can stand. Look at that verse. I want you to read that slowly. Why are we pursuing so much of what we already been made to be? What's it say? Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness if you're good enough throughout the week. If you have done everything right and kept all the commandments and pleased God and never hurt anybody's feelings. See, the core of the new life in Christ is what? Righteousness and holiness. That's who he made you to be. So put off the old man. Do you realize it's possible for the core of who you are to be made in righteousness and holiness, yet adorn yourself in the old man? That's why we're so confused. I didn't get a chance to read the scripture, but it says that the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. The two are opposed to one another. And when people in church live as if they were created by God in the salvific reality, but then continue to put on the old thinking and the old man, they are absolutely confused, depressed, chaotic, unbelieving. Because the devil has convinced them that they need to be something that they already are. How does God see you? Holy and... How does God see you? How does he see you right after you sin? <laughs> How do you see yourself? Ooh, a little less on that one. Oh, yeah, see, that's, the, that's what I'm talking about. The renewed mind. See, is it about you or is it about him? You got to make that decision. I can't make that decision for you. Is it about you or is it about him? Guess what? If you believe it's about him, then in time... You may still be sinning, but in time, what will happen is because you're believing in him, that power of the life that you're, you're giving your faith to will begin to rise to such a way that eventually you'll stop the sinning that you won't have to fight against anymore. Ask me how I know. In the midst of some of the horrible things that I've went through, I just believed. God, I'm righteous and I'm holy because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with your sacrifice. And you will get me to the point where this is no longer a part of my life. And it's not my responsibility to make it happen. It's my responsibility to believe and to obey when you tell me. Yeah. 
and then I will come. And I got there. Now I have other areas I'm working on, but it's the same principle. Glory to glory, strength to strength. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you that the new man that you made in Christ is righteous and holy. And we ask you to forgive everybody in here who has been living a way that they've put on the old man. It's thinking, it's deceptive lusts, reading the word of God outside of the spirit, not seeing your graciousness and your tenderness, not knowing your nature. This is why Paul prayed in the previous chapter that these people would know the love of God. Because if we know the love of God, we're convinced of the nature of God. And if we're convinced of the nature of God, we know that we're righteous and holy. But we thank you, Father, that sin is not going to be our focus, but it's something that we will fight and deal with in faith. Because your blood was good enough, we are not evil enough to stop you. You overcame our sin. And we believe that to be true. And we will rise to the image and the glory and the stature and the nature of Jesus Christ. If it takes time, it takes time. But you will make it happen by your spirit. You will empower us in obedience. And we will keep your word because we love you, not because we're trying to be loved by you. And we thank you for that truth. Work it into these hearts, those that are agreeing right now. Work it into their hearts and convince them that time is on their side. That as believers, they can redeem the time that was taken from them. And they can stand in truth. And they can love you with all their hearts without fear or shame. Because you're not ashamed to be called their father. He's not ashamed to call you his son. No matter what your week was like that you love us and we are loved by you. This is not an excuse for sin, but this is a way to deal with it through the righteousness of the cross. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.